Hi, my name's Elijah, and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. My very special guest today is Yolanda Charles, MBE. Yolanda is a musical polymath. She's an amazing performer and bass player. She's paid session work and live work for some of the biggest names in music. She's also an amazing songwriter. She has her own band, Project PH, and she's a spoken word artist. She's worked with names like Hans Zimmer, BB King, Mick Jagger, Squeeze, Robbie Williams, Dave Stewart, Gabrielle, who goes on and on and on. She's one of the most respected women in music, and I'm looking forward to talk to her about her songwriting and uh, what she's got to say. So please subscribe, and remember you can also order your copy of my book, The Songwriter's Handbook, Do Some Creative Writing. And uh, if you want a great gift for someone who's musical, this is for them. So please check it out on Amazon. But for now, I present you with Yolanda Charles. Today, my special guest on Songwriting for Songwriters is Yolanda Charles MBE. How are you, Yolanda? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much. Thank you for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, so you have had a, I mean, you're a musical polymath in my um the way I think of you. you you've been a, a performer, a session performer with some amazing acts. You've got Project PH, which is your own thing. You mm-hmm. mentor people. I mean, you've had an amazing career. But what do you think of yourself first and foremost? Are you a musician? Are you a songwriter? What? How do you describe yourself? Um, first and foremost, I describe myself as a bass player. Cool. And the bass is my, my uh, key into everything. Yeah, pretty much everything else that I'm doing. Um, and so that's my kind of identity as a musician. But yeah. um, it's since morphed, you know, from just playing bass into many different things. And actually, when I think about it, um, from the very beginning, whenever I was playing bass, I was trying to write and, and be a songwriter and a lyricist. Because I'm, I'm, I think first and foremost, as a child, I was, before I played any instruments, I was always writing stories anyway. Cool. So I think writing side of my character is what is informing a lot of what I do now. Do you think that kind of writing, um, <clears throat> that interest in writing as a session player and as a basis for other acts, do you think that's made you out to be kind of a different kind of session player? Well, I'm not, I don't consider myself a session player any longer. Sure. Um, I used to see myself that way because of the nature of the work that I did and how I was asked to participate in other people's stuff so I was asked to participate in a way of um, transactional you know it was we need a thing you have the thing yeah we'll pay you you do yeah. the thing and then you go home and you forget about it okay. and that transactional kind of relationship was most of my session career okay and so I saw it that way but then I started to see myself more as a contributor yes and now I see myself as a guest yeah, that's kind of what I meant, really, is I think the contribution side of things, because like you said, there is a transactional side to playing on or with other people, but then there's that contribution side. And I think often um, songwriters or artists kind of forget that a little bit. And I think when people come onto a record, they are definitely contributing in some way, which is their sound and their thing. So I just kind of wondered whether, because you're a great writer, so, you know, What's the Thank difference you. between the contributor thing and the transactional thing? Do you, do you very much wear different hats when you're doing that? Yeah, most of the time as a session player, I never felt like a contributor. I felt like a, a hiree, like a, a 
a bass player. We need a bass player. It's like anonymous, you know. Mm. So you'd, you'd be given, you know, you might have gotten well with somebody. Uh, a bass player is needed for, for a thing. Somebody's asked, do you know a bass player? And they go, oh, yeah, that person that I worked with the other night, they were cool, take their number. And then they'd, I'd get a call and they'd say, I need a bass player. <laughs> it was like that. It's like, it's almost like, you know, you, it's like, I need a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're like, okay, where's the trouble? You know, let me help you fix your, your problem. You need a baseline, fine. And so it, it, it felt like quite anonymous and that you could just do the job. You, you were the right person for the job. Um, as a contributor, they kind of get to know you maybe, or that you come with more of a reputation yeah. and um, your contribution is more spe uh, specific to you. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it always is, you know, specific to the individual, but it's just how it's perceived that changes the relationship, you know. So <clears throat> if you're seen as a contributor, they want more of your actual character in the yeah. part. Yeah. And yeah. they want they might want ideas. Very rarely, from my experience, they didn't want actual ideas. But you would um insinuate or no, infiltrate <laughs> <laughs> their music uh musically by just adding your little touches without saying words, you know. And then your character would be um oh no, Kitty. You've got a little cat there. Yeah, I'm just gonna take him out because he's very noisy. Maybe okay. pause this sure. point. Okay. <clears throat> resuming okay resuming. so uh, <laughs> cute but also annoying mm -hmm. um so the contribution side of things is like an a step up it's like you've earned your stripes as a as a jobbing bassist who was given a job that could be done by anybody kind of thing and then once you develop more of a relationship or, or more of a reputation you get invited in specifically because of how you play now it's not just a bass player any bass player will do it's like no i want that person mm -hmm. i want yolanda i want whoever <clears throat> to get to that point is nice because um you feel appreciated and the level of respect sort of starts to increase maybe sure. the income increases because you're paid more because they they really want to secure you for that gig so they'll yeah. pay you a bit more so that's great that but then it for me it stops at contributor um, with okay. the session work so that's why it wasn't really fulfilling for me because contributing is isn't collaborating collaborating is where you're coming in with ideas and solid relationship mm. contributing is when they've already got a thing and you're just adding some magic your own little bit of magic or fairy dust to it to make it you know a bit, bit nicer but yeah. the collaboration side of things is is where you want to get to really where you can really bring your character into the room like this is what i do try these chords try this riff what do you think about these lyrics that kind of side of things doesn't happen very often in the session world from uh, in my experience so far anyway sure. so <clears throat> your your thing now i mean you're um writing uh, a lot um your spoken word stuff and also with with project ph so when you write with when you collaborate or how how does project ph work in terms of writing what's the setup um, well, I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm a spontaneous um, go with the flow kind of writer. So, I often have um, a thought, or I see something, or hear something, read something, and then it spurs a, a writing seam. You know, I get into a writing seam, and then um, I'll when I'm in that kind of little bit of you know, like I, I like seeing it like um, seams of gold running through rock. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you just follow the seam 
through and you get to a nugget kind of sort of analogy um <clears throat> when i get into a little kind of flow like that i'll just write a thing and it's usually me that will write pretty much most of it and i would say that by the time you get to finished product 90 percent of it will have happened in the first little you know um happening at that moment i don't i tend not to sort of overwork my my lyrics and things so um when i've actually uh you know begun a, a thing and got most of it done even though it may change later I'll, I'll demo it at that point i'll demo it with guitar with bass i don't demo with keyboards so much now but that's only because i don't have a proper setup at the moment but um i would potentially have written some added some keyboards as well um sure. i'll demo sing the vocals and everything rough and ready as, as it is because I, I know i don't write for myself anymore so because i don't write for myself sometimes i write out of my range which means that some of the, some of the, the vocals are a little bit dodgy because <laughs> I'm not singing to my strengths, you know. Sure. But um, I'm in mind that I'll be getting somebody who can cover all the range um, registers um, that I'll have written in. And then um, at that point, I'll probably get a vocalist over, one of my singers, to workshop the vocal with me. But at that point, things might change a little bit that suits them more. A lyric might change. I always give writing um splits to my singers because when they come to me at that point that extra 10 percent of change will have happened at that point probably when sure. they come in so i usually give them um some some prs because i think it's important to yeah. recognize the contribution yeah. um and then I'll, I'll take that little demo in with to my band and stuff starts to change at that point again so chords may change um i may rewrite the bass riff i'll I won't, I'll have um, a, a drum pattern that we'll have written to, but it'll be very basic. I don't spend any time on my drum patterns. I just grab a loop mm. because I like the drummer to just understand roughly what I want. And then I, I want them to sort of add something or I want to sing drum patterns to them in the yeah. flesh. I don't like to spend too much time programming. I just find all of that takes away from the creative because I'm not a producer as such. Like, you know, I don't write uh, design beats and all of that. Um, I like working with actual drummers. Um, I will workshop drums in recording sessions, but I don't program them in advance. And so the song gradually takes shape. And then when we actually start playing the song, it morphs again yeah. into reflecting who's in the room. So everybody in my band gets PRS as contribution because I consider what they're doing as as a is as, as contributions. They're not really collaborating because the most of it's done before they hear it but they are definitely contributing something that changes it from what it was to something that it wouldn't be without them so i, I believe prs needs to be distributed all, all around you know i think that's a really healthy way to work isn't it because then people feel like they're respected and that's a huge thing yeah absolutely and i could just do a one man one one woman job you know and present this kind of finished demo but i i, I do like a lot of my ideas but i like the magic you know i like the mystery of what yes. happens when people come in and do things you didn't expect so i want that i want a space to be there for that and for that they should be rewarded i think tell me about your inspiration your relationship with the muse or the inspiration like what what is it do you what's your relationship with your inspiration how do you describe that um i think i i suspect that all of the um I, I suspect that all of my all of the interest in the thing, whatever it is, already pre-exists in me. Okay. 
and all the inspiration is is just reminding me about things that I am curious about or already know about or have um, had conversations about in the past or read elsewhere that I, I sort of filed away may, maybe in some form and then the inspiration comes um, when I open myself up to taking in you know words of others whether it be reading or listening I like listening to blogs and podcasts and things and um, it just sort of triggers a oh yeah something I might have unintentionally or subconsciously parked okay in my own interests and um they they conjoin kind of thing and then it just sparks this whole energy of of productivity and creativity and i think the only i think the way that that works is that you have to plant the seeds for your uh you have to plant the seeds within your own psyche memory bank whatever mm. for those um sparks to happen you know for for those inspirations to take hold they don't i don't think they just come from nowhere i don't think you become inspired on on a blank page i think you're inspired because of resonance and the resonance happens because something already exists within you that recognizes the outside thing and then it sparks it into life that's interesting <clears throat> so when you're talking about like what i think you're right though that you're kind of the resonance thing is really interesting because I was thinking last night about how different, you know, what is the voice of a different writer? Like, why do mm -hmm. we have different voices? And my conclusion was this, I can't, like you say, resonance is a great word to use because what am I looking for as a writer? I'm looking to kind of find this space and this kind of image or movie inside my head, which resonates with my soul, you know? So I think that's kind of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of um, what is to be human, you know, the, the complexity of it and everything, it all pre-exists in us. Yeah. Um, we just don't necessarily have access to articulate it at, upon demand, you know. So um, we have to actually be aware that we have everything that we need. We are everything that we want to be kind of thing. It's yeah. just a case of tapping into the scene of how to make it come into being so we're already you know when if you if you look back i mean this is kind of you know a little bit i suppose uh what's the word um is it mystic is it sort of metaphysic i don't know no, <laughs> metaphysical i don't know but let's just speak like this anyway why not um okay. it's good. Uh, so if you look back you know you're at your deathbed almost and you look back and you see all the things that you've you've been mm. you've so called become um, those things are part of your character. You just developed them, became more of that thing. And maybe something might have been a first. You've got always got a first, the first time you walked, the first time you did this and did that. That's a physical stuff thing. But being exposed to ideas happens constantly. It happens when you're in the womb. It happens when you some, you overhear a conversation. We, 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 there's so much of the subconscious that gets we get exposed to yeah. that we 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 just don't aren't we're not aware of it in the conscious so i find that um we're never actually any kind of blank page um we need to accept and understand that the potential for everything that we want to be already pre-exists in us we just we're just looking for an access to that point really we're looking for an access to our artistry to ideas um to to express ideas and um 
that's why I actually see life as a massive potential. Every mm. day is a massive potential because mm. I never know what's what I'm, what's going to come up into my my um, uh, awareness. You know, what what am I going to awaken to? Mm. And I can't imagine that this stuff comes from nowhere. It doesn't make any sense that it would come from nowhere. Mm. Nice. So you know, like somebody learning to to walk. A child learning to walk is is copying you know seeing information and you know that information is translated into something that they can then do i think that's the same with us as creatives as well i love that that's a really brilliant explanation i think it's uh fascinating do you find um listen your spoken words stuff in your poetry i i, I have this thing with um uh your words where I feel really opened up and deep. And sometimes I feel it happens with another artist called Jane Sibbery, actually, where it's yeah. so um, alive. It really connects me to almost this point of vulnerability. When, uh. when you, when you kind of, um, when I read your poetry, like it's really deep, but it's not like deep kind of, it's not surrounded with like, you know, uh imagery which is necessarily like deep and fragrant it's just sometimes the way you say things is like so deep and so human that it's almost for me sometimes like a little um it makes me feel vulnerable sometimes are you aware of your kind of power as a writer when you do that well i'm all i know and all i can sort of speak to is a recognition of when something starts to have that feeling of truth to it it sure. becomes it, it becomes palpable it's it's uh i feel it physically in my body okay and i recognize um i recognize that feeling that mm. feeling of power if you know what i mean it's like um i i don't create it uh, myself i can't impose it upon my body it appears when i feel what I'm saying has this kind of truth to it or a commonality or speaks to something that actually exists without, you know, as in outside of me. Yeah. When yeah. I feel that feeling, it becomes like, a, you know, it can take the form of goosebumps on the skin. In, mm. in my case, I get this kind of feeling around my middle because I've got a very uh, strong gut sense in physical yeah. way. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. emotions in my gut. Some people feel, it differently like in their head or you know but i get um a physical sort of reaction to things that happens in my in my gut so um my stomach so i can get stomach aches when i'm upset as opposed to headaches you know that kind of reaction yeah, yeah, yeah I i'm very attuned to my body you know i'm i'm uh, <clears throat> aware of my body state uh, most of the time and that really worked well when i was um giving birth because I've, I've had three children wow. and um I read my body very, very well, I say, and I don't mean to boast or whatever. It's not a claim. It's literally a description. That mm. um, um, I read my body well enough to go with everything that was happening with my body at the time because mm. I was paying really close attention to it. And um, it wasn't happening to me. I was with it, you know, the whole time. I was, like, with my body. So because of that, I found childbirth, you know, not as sort of, it was scary as hell, really scary, scariest thing I've ever done. But um, <laughs> but it wasn't tormenting me mentally in any way. I wasn't sort of as scared as I could have been because I was like in the space. And I think that when I'm writing, um, it's it's the same when I'm writing words, sometimes when I'm speaking, when I write poetry and, and when I'm playing music, 
um, I can feel a kind of my body start to react. And mm. then I go, oh, I don't do this in a kind of step-by-step way. It's all sort of, you know, my milliseconds, microseconds. But yeah, I kind of like recognize when I'm on a scene and it can be in, in any kind of flow, music, words, conversations. Um, yeah, when something feels right, you know? Yeah, I do know that feeling. It's like I have it where I kind of feel my body sort of almost feels like it's, uh, there's an old advert in the 80s for Ready Breck, like a Ready Breck glow. And I feel mm-hmm. yeah. like my body kind of becomes, it starts to glow. And, and that's when I know that I'm on to, I've removed myself enough to allow myself to kind of be witness to a communion with a state outside of the norm. And mm-hmm. without overanalyzing it, that's when I'm like, okay, this is, I'm in that zone, which is mm. more than the everyday, I suppose. And uh, I think you've really said something good there about listening to the body and really connecting to yourself in a different way. Yes. Tell me about it's, your oh. M, your MBE thing. It's, it's, it's um, a huge, um, a huge uh, honour to be given an MBE. How did you feel about um, being asked or to, uh, if you'd like to have an MBE? I mean, that's a massive um, honour to, to kind of receive. How, how, do you, how do you feel about that? At the time, I was incredulous because I didn't understand why. And then I started to feel embarrassed by it because I was just like, what the hell? I don't yeah. deserve this. And then I was uh, concerned about, you know, briefly concerned about how people would perceive me accepting it. Right. And then I felt mournful because my dad passed away. And I know that before, you know, he passed away in 17. So, oh, was it 16 actually? So before I would have been able to tell him. So that's a real shame because I think that he would have got the most kick out of it, like yeah. super proud. And yeah. I would have really enjoyed him being proud actually. Yeah. So that was, that was made me feel a bit sad. Um, and now I feel like it's something that I'm stepping into. Yeah. Um, but at the time I didn't feel that I had done enough to warrant receiving one. Now I'm more attuned with the idea of, of, um, using my accumulated kind of skill set and all the other things that I've, you know, managed to become better at over the years, just through longevity, you know, 30 plus years doing this. I think that it's useful for me to pass that on to students and people who want to learn from me. So I'm doing a lot more of that kind of work now. And that's the kind of work that you usually get MBEs for, for service, you know. Uh, And the service that I've been providing before working so closely with younger people, was more entertainment based so i just thought well as an entertainer i know i'm providing a service but the connection all entertainers provide a service so why do i get an award for that i mean i've only just done service as an entertainer but now i'm doing more service as an educator Mm. and a mentor and a contributor of ideas that hopefully will inspire others in a direction of more artistry and less sort of mechanistic commercial commercial um, commerciality and you know that to me is a real service to provide that kind of um, role in society so i'm stepping more into that role so i'm stepping more into what qualifies you for an mbe after having got it which is quite funny that's quite amazing really actually if you think about it it's almost like the universe kind of gave you a title and you've decided okay i'm going to step into this in a different in a, in a kind of- <laughs> way it's, that's very cool Wait. yeah yeah it's a combination about... of, oh sorry just to finish it's a combination of having the touring world 
closed off to me through covid and then what do you feel it what do you fill in the void I, I actually put in something that was more value in a lot of ways by being more in an educational role instead of touring so yeah that's the coincid coincidence of those things happening at once really I love that that's that's kind of again the sort of allowing the putting something out there and allowing the universe to respond in a way it's a good a good mm. um position to be in I'm, I, we, we wrote a tune together and when we were writing this tune together um I remember you kind of tweeting something about um just the fact that as a bass player you know obviously that's your first instrument so you will obviously I guess write on bass predominantly and Mm -hmm. it's something which I it stood out to me because I generally write on guitar or uh, piano and I decided to take your philosophy of you know writing on a different instrument or starting with the bass and write a song off it which is going to be on our third album and so I kind of would think it'd be really interesting to songwriters that listen to this to find out your perspective of like writing from a bass um starting with the baseline or starting from there you know it's because it is slightly different style of writing mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. could you just give us the kind of your thoughts about that as a writer well um when i sing melodies um i'm hearing the bass yeah i don't hear bass lines though i'm just hearing the harmony underneath the melody okay. um I don't really think in chords as much. I do that afterwards. That's the last thing that I do. Okay. The, first, the first thing that I do is um, just to hear what note sounds nice with the chord and um, with the top line, top line note. And cool. that will inform the chord later. So it's kind of nice to be able to do that because it really opens up the harmonic potential. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think in C minor or I don't play C minor and then because when you play like a chord you've got three other notes maybe four other notes or four notes altogether uh there as a stack of melody already without rhythm you know and um the the mel melodic choices that you have in the vocal tend to sort of be sympathetic to those four notes mm. so you've narrowed down this scope of potential right there straight away because you've yeah. got these four notes and then you've got to fit a note in that, you know, you're unlikely, if you're playing C minor or something, C minor seven, you're unlikely to sing a D flat sure. with that yeah. as your go-to note. Um, and you probably wouldn't with the root, but actually you can if it's the octave above. Okay. When you're playing a root note, a C root note, and you sing a D flat, an octave above, you can get away with that because it's um a flat nine and you might not choose that note um with the chord in but with just the bass note almost any note will work with the bass note if the distance is far enough apart you can explore with close close harmony like that that you can't get away with with an actual solid chord then you can find chords that will sympathize with that harmonic distance which is very there's no smaller harmonic distance unless you're dealing with quarter tones so then you work on a chord that will make that note work mm. um and so that by doing it that way i open up the potential for some really interesting harmonic movement mm. um, and the melody is not tied um mm. Uh, obviously it's not random so they will and once you've done one or two chords you start to find a sort of um, key center 
and all of that. But actually, when I'm writing, sometimes my key centers are not clear. Yeah. Um, because sometimes my base notes are not the roots. Yeah. My, my base notes can be sometimes I'm very naughty because sometimes my base notes are like the major seven, mm. <laughs> like mm. naughty notes that nobody usually chooses. As long as the chord supports what's happening with the top, yeah. Um, you can get away with some some interesting um, uh, movement on the on the bass side. So for me, by not using chords, mm. I keep my top line and my harmonic potential really open and free and that's actually informed my sound so now i know that my harmonic um the harmonic quali quality the harmony quality of my music is kind of unusual mm, it's that's... not you listen to it and you're, you're like that doesn't sound like everyone else and i think that i've managed to create that by removing these um standardized kind of writing songwriting techniques that people use that's really fascinating <clears throat> and it's also something which a lot of my writing is less chord based it's more like riff based or kind of uh to some extent arpeggio based and i really hear what you're saying because you're free from the kind of chord thing so you can actually move it in different directions and it, it sort of has a cyclical thing going on without being rooted in a kind of uh flattened way if that makes sense so mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think i hear what you're saying um when you think about influences on you as a writer, specifically as a kind of songwriter, um, who do you think has influenced you? It could be a author or a songwriter, or where do you? What influences or who has influenced you the most? Well, I write songs that are not groove based all the time. So, yeah. as much as I love groove, um, and that's my main place that I start with grooves. As a bass player, I write bass lines. Um, you know, even if I don't start with a riff, I'll have don't, I'll definitely have written one at some point to add to the song. So I love writing groove, groove tunes. So, you know, anybody that I've got in my collection, I've got a massive collection of, of stuff. And so I can't really sort of pinpoint one, one particular style or person that I would write like, but it's from a groove position. So it could be one chord groove, like a James Brown thing or it could be something a little bit more jazz funky like Don Blackman, or it could be something more Steve, Stevie Wonder with lots of, you know, lots of changes. Um, all of that inspires me. Um, but in terms of actually how to, um, you know, just explore more potential, I've been really influenced, I think, by the pop artists that I've been following who generally or working with, they generally don't write from a groove position. Often the bass is in a supportive role playing root notes and maybe there aren't very many riff, actual bass riffs, uh, recognisable melodies that you can say are is a bass riff. It's more like bass is supporting the harmony. Yeah. Um, and so that takes the focus away from the bass and the groove and more into what's been said and how it's been said. And I think um, Glenn Tilbrook, um, his writing style, um, he's, it's very unusual and I think that's influenced me to sort of come out of the sort of box kind of shape of eight bars, four bars yeah. um, kind of thinking. He has like little turnarounds that adds on an extra two, four bar or even an extra bar or yeah. even an extra couple of beats just to make the melody work. So he's always focused in on what the lyrics are saying and what the melody has to say. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you end up with these, these uh, shapes that are a little bit um, 
not so grid based on 4, 8, 12, 16, 24 kind of shapes. Give me one second. I'm just going to take a quick break. Sorry, I just needed some water. No, not at all. Um, so, yeah, that's, he's influenced me because I, I've, I found it intriguing. You know, you really, you can't just sort of sit in on a, on a squeeze track. You know, um, Glenn Tilbrook's songwriting um, with Christopher uh, and his lyrical style they really write to serve the story. Yes. And that means that the story, and the story is not uniform. No. And so you, you end up with arrangements that are really quite interesting. Mm. So I, I like I like the influence that Glenn's had on me, but that's a more recent influence. Yeah. Uh, because I only really started listening to Squeeze when I started playing um, for them in, in 2017. Yeah. So before that, it was, you know, Bob Marley, I'd say, um, the, the sort of spiritual element of Bob Marley's writing um, you know, because that, that music is like ceremony to me when I listen to it. It carries me somewhere yeah. magical. Yeah. Um, and some of Stevie Wonder's um, music does that for me as well. Uh, so, yeah, those are my main influences. Is that important to you, the spiritual element within your own writing? <clears throat> I just want my writing to convey something that I intend, you know. I don't want anything to be... Um, just for the sake of itself. I want it to have the message. It's not always a message of words. It's a sentiment or a feeling. So I'm looking to communicate that. Sometimes a, a series of chord changes carries power of energy, emotion. You hear that in classical music a lot because obviously there's no lyrics. I mean, I don't listen to opera, but in orchestral music, um, chord sequences and progressions are written for emotional impact, whether it's like dark or light or, or humour or whatever, it's all written for effect. Nothing is just there for the sake of it. Whereas in pop music, a lot of the, um, uh, pop, pop music as in, you know, not orchestral, not jazz, so everything else, um, that, that music relies very heavily, I find, on lyrical content Yes. And and uh, vocal delivery yes. for inspiring emotion in the listener. Where, whereas what's missing is the power of um, chord sequences mm. and an extended harmony in a chord. You know, if you put if you just play a regular minor chord, it has an, an effect of sorts. But when you start to add the sevens and nines, elevens and thirteens, that extended harmony, it, it's not jazz to me. That's just adding more of a particular flavor of one kind or another. So by exploring the extended harmony and the sequence of the chords as well, you're actually able to affect more sort of emo, um, emotional drama mm. by using all of this stuff. And when people sort of say, oh, it's jazz or whatever, it's like, no, 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 no. It's the colors, it's just colors. So, yeah. you know, it's like painting in primary colours versus using a really broad palette of paint to create more light and shade and dark. It's the same with music. The more harmonic kind of choice you have, the more subtle the message and then potentially the more impactful it can be. So um, I like to, to write bearing in mind that I want to make sure that there's an element of impact in the harmony, lyric yeah. content or vocal delivery or prowess of the musicians, you know, playing competently or taking a solo or something. It's all, something's got to be in there. That's my kind of aim, really. I think there's, do you mind if I read something back to you from one of your poems? 
please. Because I read that this morning. And I think what you're saying uh, to do with music there and also lyrics is there's kind of like a resonance of words as well as music and dimensions within words. And the way you can read a line or a paragraph which opens up much more than just reading the line and the, yeah. the um bit i've picked is from one of your poems because i have no tears and i particularly love it because of the way you say something which is about your mum and mm-hmm. you say her beautiful dresses self-made in her youth her winkle pickers gloved hands cigarette in a holder lipstick smeared elegant she was going to be someone and then she became our mum what I really love about that is the description of the way somebody was, the things she wore, the kind of descriptive nature. But I also love the kind of idea that you added of like, everybody wants to be someone. She was going to be someone, you know, that kind of idea. And then she became a mum and the kind of relationship between elegant, she was going to be someone. And then she became a mum, which is like amazing because it says about five things without actually saying anything at all. There's a distance between the relationships of those lines, which is becoming a mum is the ultimate, right? It's the ultimate sacrifice, it's the ultimate position. But there's also like the idea of the elegant going to be someone, which is the idea of the world thinking you're someone. And the distance and the space between those lines, like with notes or um, chords, the stuff Mm -hmm. that isn't said but implied delicately is, is the art, isn't it, of the lyric? Well, yeah, I mean, the what that statement really means is that the someone she became was the ultimate Absolutely. queen. Absolutely. You know, the god of my life. When you're a child, yeah. your parents are gods, you know, to you. You don't know anything else and you love them no matter what. Yeah. And uh, all of the glamour of who she um, was when she was young, the things that people appreciated about her that really thought she could be, you know, this this person she won she won these competitions as a as a beauty um a contestant and all of this you know mm-hmm. um so people had hopes for her she would end up being something or marrying somebody of significance or whatever is important in those days but she became the most important thing of all which was my mum you know yeah. and and that's that was the crowning glory was that she became so important to people to yeah. specific for humans you know that, that i love the balance you've got there like it's, it's just really really well written and for anyone listening here um yolanda has um has some of her poetry and spoken which has got a fantastic website actually with all her stuff up there but you can read um, some of her poetry which is very very inspiring to you writers out there yolanda i've just got a few a couple more questions to ask you um one of which is what advice would you give to songwriters what have you learned that you would like to kind of, I mean, you've given us a lot of detail here about your writing, but in, in a few lines or in, in a kind of um, succinct way, what advice would you, from your position and from your experience, what advice would you give some writers? Um, I think that you don't always have to make a decision about how you write. You can write from a personal perspective of your, of your life and all the rest of it. But just, I would say, don't limit yourself to only telling your own story. Mm. Um, you can take the observer role yeah. and, and just quietly watch what's going on in the world. Some of it will have resonance with you directly and other things just won't. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you can't have an angle to talk about something mm. that you personally haven't experienced because um, there is um, an element of storytelling that is a little bit missing at the moment, which is people telling stories that are not their own. 
Okay. And show, showing, you know, shi shining light on an observer's perspective is really useful for the person, well, for all of us from di for different reasons. Fantastic. So I think developing, developing that as a skill set, learning how to tell stories that are not your own is, is useful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the tra tradition of communication, isn't it? From from yeah. thousands of years ago, to the passing on of stories. So it's definitely a yeah. very useful thing to to wear as a hat, as well as writing about yourself. Mm. Um, and finally, Yolanda, thank you so much for your time and for such an inspirational uh, conversation. But the question I ask everybody is, if you could have written a song which isn't something you've written, so someone else's song that would have lived inside your head and you'd have, uh, you know, written, what, what song by somebody else would you have loved to have uh, written? Well, my go-to and the one that I sing in my mum's ear um, when I go and visit her in the care home because she's got Alzheimer's and everything, um, is Smile, okay. which I, I adore how, that's, how that song makes me feel, whether the Nat King Cole version wow. or whatever, really. I just, there's something about that song that the lyrics it just uplifts so beautifully. I, I use it as my go-to to just make me feel better about life and to actually smile, which it does, um, always does, every time. You want to hear something a bit weird? What? Very solid. I've had that song in my head. Oh, when? What, just recently? Well, just the last two days, I've been singing that. Oh. <laughs> and I, hadn't, I hadn't heard it, but it was just like, literally just in my head. For, so that's interesting. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. Maybe, yeah, it's like maybe knowing that I was going to talk to you just opened up a kind of uh, resonance there. But that's that is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you have you have the uh, power as in to be, you know, um, attached to the source. You know, that's what we're always looking for. I think when things feel right, I mean, you know, it's a little bit too woo woo for most people to sort of think this way. But I think creative people can't shy away from the stuff that we don't know about the yeah. stuff that is science the stuff that isn't measurable i think to be a true creative you have to open up to the potential that what we see and what we think we know is not the full story allow all of that in because it will inform your writing and, and the idea that we're when we're really kind of you know tapping into a songwriting kind of uh, scene or there's a flow of energy going on with your your performance or whatever I like to think of those moments that I'm closest to the source of all things, you know, and um, that's how I would describe it. It's my thoughts. I know it's not an original thought, but that's how I like to see when things line up well, that it means that I'm just a little bit closer to, you know, the magic of life, the mystery of life. I love that. That's a beautiful way to end the podcast. Um, everybody listening, please go and check. I'll put Yolanda's link to her website and her socials in the description. And uh, she is, we've been described as the high priestess of uh, bass playing. And she is <laughs> a wonderful person to go and listen to and um, get inspired by. So everybody go and check out Yolanda's website. Yolanda, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Yolanda. I really appreciate the invitation. I had a great time chatting with you as ever. Thank you.